I want to share with you is this conference, where's Randy? Um, I want to share with you on the um, a principle right here from my book on the good general. The good general. All right. On uh, the good general. And uh, a good general is a good fighter. Amen. And um, fighting in the ministry is important because we are fighting, dealing with an enemy who has no plans of giving up any territory. So everything is going to be a fight. Are you with me? So you are going to have to fight well and know how to fight. Amen. Scriptures and these scriptures are telling us that indeed we will be fighting. So you fight either outwardly against clear enemies or you fight cloaked enemies. Enemies that are um, who have covered their sins and their intentions with a cloak. Like Jesus said, if I have not come to you and spoken to you these words, you would have no cloak for your sin. So there are people that are against you or are sinning against you but have a cloak. Something to cover their wicked ways. And then after that you fight enemies that are internal within yourself you have your enemy your number one enemy is your flesh and then you have to fight your flesh because your flesh will always want to do the opposite of the will of God if your flesh is a male flesh it will have some traits and you will find yourself fighting um, the male tendencies of the flesh. Because there are some things that are peculiar to, to the male flesh. The flesh is different. Male flesh is different from female flesh. Did you know that? Don't listen to anybody who tells you it's the same. Men are the same as women. It's nonsense. We, we cannot be, we are not the same. If I take a blood of a woman and the blood of a man and take it to the lab, I can know that this is a female blood from the blood. I don't need to know you. The blood, will, the blood is different. 
if I take a biopsy, biopsy is like a little sample of your flesh. If I, if I, if I take a piece of a flesh in a needle and take it to the lab without knowing whether it's a male or female, we'll, we'll see that it's a female because it's different. We are different. So the way we think and all that is different. So when you are fighting in the in the male flesh, you have different things you are fighting. And when you are in the female flesh, you're fighting you know, the same things, but some things are emphasized. Then after that, you fight in the family, internal things at home. All right. I'm actually preaching from chapter 75 of this book, A Good General. Why, why am I showing you which book? Because books are such that you can easily not know what, it, what is in the book. A book can exist, but you will not, never know what is in it. And even when you read, you will not see it. Are you with me? So, chapter 75 says, a good general fights in four dimensions. You fight in four dimensions. The first dimension is a personal dimension for your personal wholeness. Second dimension is a family. There are family fights. And then the third dimension is a leadership where you fight amongst the leaders because you have to first fight in the family to bring under control the members of your family. And then after that, you have to fight to bring the assistants and team workers. That's the leaders with you. You have to bring them under control. And then the fourth dimension is the public dimension where you stand publicly and minister. And that one is what people think is ministry. Most of the time. Most of the time, people think that ministry is um, when most of the time people think that um, ministry is when you are when you are on stage preaching. <clears throat> most of the preaching, most of the fighting is before the preaching and after. Are you there? So a good general fights in four dimensions. And you have to learn how to fight. Let me go through the dimensions again. The first is your, pe- your human person. Your flesh. Alright? Even sickness is a type of fight. To stay alive 
and to stay well and to stay strong to be able to preach is a fight and to control your flesh to prevent yourself from being a fornicator a smoker a drinker not a drunkard a drinker A pornographer. You know, once there was a conference in Amsterdam for evangelists. And um, when they left, they, they stayed in a hotel. And the hotel made, you know, you know in a hotel you can choose to watch films something that you pay and watch. They had the highest income when the evangelist came from pornography. <laughs> yes, they had the highest from pornography. And that, I'm talking about the personal dimension because, you know, we have personal issues. And the Bible says, if the foundations are removed, what can the righteous do? So a lot of ministries don't flourish and can't flourish because personally, you, 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 have, you, are, not, you are not winning personally in your person. Are you there? You are sure you are here? And then secondly... You come to the family. Family has to do with uh, your wife or your husband and children. That is a fight on its own. Most pastors, you know, have many pastors, not most, Many pastors have problematic marriages, especially the senior pastors. The senior pastors, because they don't have anybody above them. And if you don't have any abo- anybody above you, then the wife, you and the wife, you and your wife, become like uh, players in a team without a referee. So, many pastors have a whole lot of problems in their marriages. In some of the worst marriages you can find, you have them with pastors. But, as usual, we love to give good impressions. So, you see a pastor with his picture very smiling, more smiling than even normal. <laughs> with, with the wife. <laughs> smiling, I mean, when you even stand back and you look, you'll be saying, ah, I want my marriage to be like this. But it, you, you stop praying that prayer till you find out 
Don't use a picture to, to, to pray that way. <laughs> I have a book for pastors' wives. Just the wives, not the husbands. If you are looking for a balanced book, it's not this. This is not balanced. I had no intention of writing a balanced book. This one is balanced. This is called model marriage. But this one is not balanced. This one is addressing issues to do with pastors' wives. All right? A lot of pastors' wives love me, I tell you. You may think they don't love me. They really like me. It's called the beauty, the beast, and the pastor. The beauty, the beast, and the pastor. All right? So, it's very good to help the fight to gain control of pastors' marriages. Many pastors are not able to lead because they have a co-pilot who has elevated herself into a pilot. Yes. <laughs> you know, you must stop trying to look good. Looking good is a dangerous thing. Why? Because you spend a lot of time and energy trying to look good. Instead of energy and time to be good in reality. Being good is different from looking good. You can be good, but you may not even look so good. So if you spend more energy and time being good, you do better. All right? So in the family dimension, you have um, a fight as well. And may God give you grace and wisdom to do well. Then you come to the leaders and the assistants around you as a pastor. There also, we have a whole lot of characters who become assistant pastors and associates. And once again, before you go public, these people are the ones who can finish you off. You know? Just like your wife can finish you. If you're able to deal with your wife and your family or your husband, you are now coming to the next stage, which is the people. Now, I have a book for each of the people who can finish you off. Yes. Uh, 
I was 25 years old when I became a pastor. And I've been at it for some time. I'm more than 50 years old now. So I've been around for more than two weeks. <laughs> Loyalty and disloyalty. Disloyal people are people that are not, um, they are not loyal. They are not faithful. They are not with you. And they fight you and they, they can grow in their disloyalty until they become like Judas. You wouldn't want to have Judas. Jesus, you know, Jesus met a lot of bad people eh, in his ministry. But it was interesting, his responses to the bad people. He met the, the woman of Samaria. And he just, you know, told her, I'll give you water to drink. I have water for you. Wow. The people brought him a woman whom they had caught in adultery in the act, the very act. Jesus told her, me, I don't condemn these things. (laughs) Go home and don't do it again. That's all. I don't condemn Yes. Unless you have a different Bible from mine. That's what Jesus said. Me, I don't condemn. Go. Go. And he turned to all the pastors who had come there and said, Hey, you know yourself. Go home also. <laughs> so, but, but for Judas, Judas, he said, it would have been better that you were not born. So you see that his his reaction to disloyalty was different from his reaction to immorality. What you call immorality. His reaction was completely different. He said it would have been better that you were not born. And because of that statement, anytime I have a, a young lady in the church who gets pregnant and then loses the baby, sometimes they abort and they start bleeding and all that, I, I always call the girl and I say, listen, don't be so sad that you have lost this baby. This may be Judas who is coming out. <laughs> Do you see? Because Jesus says that. Some people, it's better that they are not born. (laughs) Amen. And it's very comforting to know that there are some people who should not be born. Both Adolf Hitler and Stalin were members of a choir in a church. And they were loved by their mothers who took them to church. But both of these men caused great evil in the world. So it's good sometimes for some people not to be born. Then we have those who accuse you. I'm talking about war. I hope you are with me. I'm trying to explain. I'm talking about the good general, a good fighter. And I'm showing you that there are four areas that the fight is in personally 
understand the, the dimension of your family dimension and then now your leaders around you you see before the public one so under the leaders you have those who accuse you now whenever you are accused you become weaker that's why the bible says that strength and salvation has come because the accuser of the brethren has been cast down now anytime somebody accuses you you might as well bring out some notes and tell the person that he forgot certain things he missed certain points you want to accuse of something there are more things you didn't you didn't mention that you could have added to your things is it not true yes because as human beings you are always accusable and until you've experienced it you may not know what it means for somebody to accuse you hey and you see it's only when you start meeting fellow accused brothers just like yourself that you become a bit stronger and you realize that look this is something that is happening to all of us that is like we are all being accused of many things you know and you grow in your resistance you know one day I was playing table tennis with uh, one of my bishops he's very good at table tennis you know and um, do you know what is a loop you see table tennis you play like this pa, 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 pa. but there's something we call a loop it goes like this and the ball spins and it goes very fast and uh, it's not easy to receive it now this bishop whom I was playing with. You know, he's a champion. So I didn't realize what I, who I was playing with. So the ball came and I did the loop like this and the ball went top speed to the other side, spinning. He just hit it back like this. And I was there, you know, speechless. The ball just came back. That was the last time I did that with him. From then on, I just played calmly. Because the way he just smashed it back to me, I had no answer. So from today, you are going to smash the accusations back to the enemy. Yes. He'll be surprised when he comes up with things. And you just smash him back at top speed. And he will have no answer in the name of Jesus. So those who accuse you is one. Then those who are proud. Proud people are dangerous. Now how do you see proud people? People who don't smile. Now, everybody's smiling, but you don't smile. 
People who don't say amen. People who are not impressed. Watch out for anybody you always feel pressure to impress. Pressure to do things for the person. Pressure to bend over to explain things or to do extra things for the person. He's a proud person. And the person's aloofness is intimidating you and making you do things which you don't need to do. Yeah. So, watch out. You know, one day I, I, I called a pastor and I was speaking to him on the phone. I had just ended the conversation. said, thank you, bye-bye. I said, hello? 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 He's gone. I, I called him a long-distance call. Okay, thank you, bye. One of my pastors. Yes. I will never forget. Even as I speak, I can remember the corridor I was standing. I said, hello? And I was asking him something. You see, because he told me that he had a dream. And I was asking him, the dream, does it not mean something bad? But he did not see. And exactly what I thought happened, happened to him. Those who leave you, Look, one person leaving you can affect you more than anything. You see, some of you, your ministries, uh, since a certain personality left you, you've never recovered. Yes. You know, somebody that you have did a lot for. A person leaves. And some of you here, you are leavers. So this book is Those Who Leave You. I wrote a whole book. It's one of my bigger books, actually. You see, when the prodigal son left home, he left home and left his father thinking and wondering, what have I done wrong as a parent that my son doesn't want to be with me? And has gone to a far country. So far. What did I do wrong? Anytime someone leaves. He causes big questions to be asked about the person he left. Is it not true? Yes. One day I met a, a pastor. Who was. Uh, who left. Was he actually what happened was that he was mocking a man of God who had people leaving him? And he said, This guy has his assistant pastors and so on leaving because he is a bad leader. 
you see. So he was, they were, they were laughing at him and saying that. You see, his leadership, very poor leadership. That's why people are leaving him. And they were laughing. But you see, it's true that bad leadership can lead to people leaving you. You get it? Bad leadership can lead to people leaving you. It's true. But don't laugh. Anybody who is laughing at somebody, get ready. Get ready for what? Get ready for yours. Yes. Don't laugh at people. Rather, try to understand what has happened and what is happening. So anyway, those who leave you, hey, they can finish your whole ministry. You know, one time a pastor left the church and he told the people, I don't want to give any reasons why I have left. Even just saying that you don't want to give reasons, (laughs) it's already, you have already started throwing around salt and pepper. Yes. Then he said, it is only a crocodile who comes from under the water who can tell you that there is a snake there. Do you understand the proverb? It's only the crocodile because snakes can live in water like you see a pool of water. There can be a very long python like from here to here. I once watched a film where they put a camera on a snake's head. They, I don't know how they pinned it, but they pinned it so that the snake was followed. And the snake went into a water body. It was like a little pond. And stayed there for some couple of weeks waiting to eat somebody. Yes. In fact, the one who was speaking said that you talk of the patience of Job. You should rather speak of the patience of a snake. Yes. And the snake was in the water waiting for the prey. And he stayed there. Every time he came up, the camera comes up and you can see he's looking at the antelopes. Then he goes back and he goes like patient till the day that he struck. So this snake is in the water, but it is a crocodile who comes. He there will know that he is there. Who can tell you that, look, there is somebody there. So what the guy is saying that I as a pastor of the church when I leave this church you see me as a crocodile I am the one who can tell you the snakes that are in that church and the snakes that are at the leadership level and that the senior pastor is actually holding a snake himself. Are you still there? Amen. So those who leave you and those who forget, I have a book for them too. People who forget, Hebrews 6, 10 says that God is not unrighteous to forget your work, your labor. So people can be 
forgetful. You forget what has been done for you. You know? And when you forget, it is an act of unrighteousness. You, you must be very careful in relation to people who have done something good for you before. Because the person can curse you. The person can curse you. And, it, and the curse will come to pass. No, there are some cases that don't happen. But some happen. And the Bible says that a curse causeless shall not come. There must be a cause. And one of the causes is forgetting. You know, the day that Judas was chosen, there were so many people who wanted to be chosen. They were all standing there and they picked 12. I'm sure there was somebody standing near Judas. And when they called Judas, he thought it was him. He came and said, no, 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 not you, this one. (laughs) Go back. You are not the one that we need. We need Judas. And Judas was uh, chosen. That's the first thing that he forgot, that he was chosen. And he was given the privilege of being in every meeting of Jesus Christ till the very last supper he was there. Huh? He had Jesus lifting up the cup and saying, this is my blood which is shed. He had it. I, 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 I don't know how his mind was working. He had Jesus saying, this is my blood. Wow. He saw Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's the greatest to me, in my estimation, the greatest power miracle that Jesus did was to raise Lazarus from the dead. Because, I mean, let's face it. You know, first of all, most people just pray for the sick. But if you die, they stop praying. <laughs> if you die, they stop praying. But I recently met a pastor who, who says he prays for the dead. If you die, he'll pray for you. Yeah, and he's, uh, people have been rising in his ministry. He says he just pray because Jesus said, you know, raise the dead. So he prays. If you die, he'll pray, he'll pray for you before burying you. So, but, but, but to go somewhere where the funeral has been finished already and the person is buried and to go to the cemetery and ask where there's a crowd that the person should be exhumed and the person is exhumed and you raise the person from the dead, it's, 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 it's an ultimate miracle. And Judas was there. <laughs> Judas was there. He saw it. He saw it. He said, this is not an ordinary person. This is not an ordinary person. This is not an ordinary person. 
And yet, he forgot. That's why I say that there is a book for those who forget. You were appointed in the church. Ordained in the church. Almost everybody around me, I officiated their weddings. Almost, if you see anybody around me, I officiated their wedding, usually. Bishop Ogo, who is here, officiated his wedding. Almost everybody who has BDR, who uh, uh, introduces me sometimes at the crusades, all of them, they are all have been for years, 25 years, 30 years ago. Sit down. You, 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 you don't, you, you, you should be careful in things, when things are done for you. You trivialize them. Oh, but somebody else would have officiated the wedding. You see, you just spoke like a fool. Hands were laid on you. Prayers. You were appointed as a pastor. You were encouraged. You were forgiven. Your sins were overlooked. Your fornications were ignored. And the referee said, play on. And you played on. And people saw you as a holy brother. Meanwhile, you are not holy. And you forgotten everything. So, the Bible says that the ground which receives the rain. Oh, sorry. Can somebody help to fix this? The ground which receives the rain. And put it, put it on the side here. The ground which receives the rain that falls often on it and brings forth thorns is nigh to be cursed. Because you've been receiving rain, you should not bring forth thorns or painful things. Hey! Those who forget, Hebrews 6 verse 10, God is not unrighteous to forget. Hmm? So don't forget when great things are done for you. Amen. Because it is forgetful and grateful people who become Judases. Yes. In fact, when somebody has a Judas, he just remembers the things he's done for the person. So, ah, man, this guy, I did this, I did this, I helped him. I did this, I did that. Look at what he's saying now. Can you believe? So, Judas is born out of Someone who doesn't remember what has been done. And when you do that, you will never prosper. Now, Judas, if you want to sin, you know, choose some other sin like steal or lie or some other thing. (laughs) 
You get what I'm saying? If, if really it is a sin that you really want to commit, maybe you should choose something else, but not to be a Judas. Because it is the only thing that Jesus said it would have been better that the person was not born. Choose something else. Try stealing, lying, anything fornicating, but Judas, no. Amen? Then those who are ignorant. Ignorant people are more rebellious. And uneducated people are more rebellious. Yes. You know, it's easy to fight for independence. And that's what we fought for in Africa. Independence. Aluta continua. <laughs> Those who are ignorant. Actually, are even better fighters. <laughs> it's true. They are good at fighting for freedom. But, you know, how many have seen a large ship before? When you see a ship, huh, you'll be amazed that it can float. Containers stacked up, you know, very high. 20, 10, 20 containers into the air. Arranged as if they've arranged some cardboard boxes full of cars, trucks, everything. And the ship can be so huge. It can have a football field, basketball, swimming pools, lifts, rooms, hotels. Huge! Now, if you go and fight for the freedom of this ship, are you with me? The freedom of what? The ship. Now suddenly the ship is freed. And you are now the captain. Truth be told, you don't know how to move the ship. How many know how to move a ship? Yes. And that's what has happened in Africa. We fought for freedom, but the people don't know how to move the ship. (laughs) And the ship is right there. And it's like, we don't know how to take it out of the harbor. <laughs> so we are there. You see somebody trying. So, Let's have another election and see if we can bring somebody. He's also going to try. How do you turn on the engine? How do you, how do you know when you get on the sea? How do you know where it's straight and where it's right? Because the whole sea looks the same. Hey. You know? Our books were printed in Asia once, uh, once we had a huge shipment of books. It was printed in Asia. It was on a huge ship. And then a typhoon. A typhoon came. Do you know what is a typhoon? It's like a hurricane. Yeah. Came. And the commander of the ship received information that the typhoon is coming. So he turned the ship around. 
Will you know how to turn the ship around? (laughs) He turned the ship around and headed back to the port at top speed. But still, the typhoon came and caught up with the ship and this ship full of containers and cars and everything, including our books, got flooded and a a large part of the books were destroyed. You know, so to be a commander of a ship is not a small thing. You must know how to turn around and how to run from a hurricane. And if you go straight into the hurricane, capsize. And everybody's dead. All plenty containers, everything gone. So, we need the art of leadership. Not just the art of overthrowing governments. I have a book here called The Art of Leadership. Amen. I'm not trying to sell books. If you buy or you don't buy, it doesn't do anything to me or to us. I believe you all registered, isn't it? You know, this is not a cost of the book. This thing costs at least 400 US dollars for this. And, I, and I, you know that you, you, what you have is free. Virtually. Is it not true? But I am, I am showing you these things so that you know where they are found in the books. So, ignorance about how to lead people is very dangerous. So, the art of leadership and the art of being a good general. All right? So, I am still talking about the internal fight. And then you come to those who pretend. Those who pretend. Now, pretenders are everywhere. But when you meet really people who pretend to be happy but are not happy, who pretend to like you but don't like you, who pretend to be blessed but are not blessed and are actually annoyed, it really shakes you. You, you have a feeling in your stomach from here downwards that you've never had before. And you see that the person is has been pretending and there's there's that as well so this book will help you in that and finally this book is one of you is a devil one of you is a devil all right these are the words of jesus he said to judas and to the team he said have i not chosen you but one of you is a devil. So, what does it mean to be a devil? It means to do all the devil's things. And one of the devil's things is to separate from the others. Lucifer separated from the other angels and caused a war to come to heaven, which had not happened before. So watch out for people who separate themselves. Hey, and people who separate themselves, they are always using the Holy Spirit as the reason. They say, the Holy Spirit told me to leave. 
one of you is a devil. You know? So, devils, watch out for devil, human devils. You know? Jesus told people, he said to Peter, Satan, get thee behind me. And you can know the devil's presence by some words. When you say certain words, we know you are a devil. You are. Not you are like, you are. One of you is a devil. And, and Jesus, and the Bible says, and Jesus knew from the beginning those who would betray him. So Jesus knew for a long time about betrayers in his midst. So watch out for these things. Anyway, I am just sharing with you um, from my book here, The Good General, that there are four areas. Are you still here for fighting? What is the area one? Dimension one. What? Personal. Your personal life, your flesh, and so on. And what's the dimension number two? Family. Isn't it? Where you have a lot of issues. A lot of issues. Okay? Family issues are plenty. All right? And then number three? Your leadership, which is all that I've been talking about those who leave you those who are ignorant those who are those who forget those who are disloyal those who are proud and so on and then the final and fourth dimension is the public ministry of preaching teaching healing and all the things that we do public taking decisions leading having meetings that is i mean it's also, I mean, something you have to master. And the more you master that, the more, the, 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 that is the area that is seen as ministry. But before you can, before I can stand here, you know, I have to master the flesh. I have to overcome in my family, with my wife and children. Then I have to overcome with my pastors and my bishops. I have 102 bishops under me. 102 bishops under me. Each bishop has a cathedral and has churches that he oversees. He's not a bishop. You know, you see some people with 70 members and they are called bishops. That's, that's not the kind of bishop I'm talking about. I'm talking about a bishop who has a cathedral because a cathedral is the seat of a bishop. That's what it means. Cathedral means the seat of a bishop. And he's an overseer of churches. In, in, in the constitution of England or whatever, you, you have to oversee 12 churches before you can be a bishop. So, um, this is, you have to overcome all these people, 
you know, and not everybody has the same ideas. I, I, have, I have a lot of pastors. Some don't have the same ideas that I have. Some are lay pastors, some are full-time. Some are bishops, some are obedient, some are not so obedient. Yonggi Cho said, for every Korean, we have two ideas. You know? So if you have 200 Koreans, we have 400 ideas about what must be done. <laughs> so this is the dimension that um, we are supposed to fight in. And I wish you well in your fight. And the Bible says, fight a good fight. You must be good at fighting. You must be good at fighting. And you must learn how to fight the enemy. You must not be tired of fighting. That's why you must enter the ministry when you are young. You know. Ministry is for young people. When... When in the book of Numbers, doctor, are you there? Yes. In the book of Numbers, chapter 8, it speaks about ministry. He says that you, you minister from the age of 25 to 50. Yes, that is when you minister. Read it. This is it that belongeth unto the Levites. From twenty and five years old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And from the age of fifty years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation. To keep the charge and shall do no service. Thus shall thou do unto the Levites, touching their charge. Yes. They shall do no service from the age of 50. So ministry is for 25 to 50. After 50, you are on retirement. And you are doing extra time. I'm on retirement. This is my retirement job. And your ministry changes after the age of 50. You see, you can't discard the Old Testament. If you want to discard it, then you should put away scriptures like, I am the Lord that healed these in the same place. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you believe that one and believe this one is also there now from 25 to 50 this, that's the prime time even for a lady it's between 25 and 50 that you have your monthly period and the monthly period when the bleeding comes it means your womb is crying that he didn't get a baby this month. <laughs> oh, you don't know that your, your womb is crying. 
Oh, I didn't get a baby this month. I didn't get a seed this month. So your womb cries every month. But from around the age of 50, the womb stops crying. Say, oh, it's okay. I don't have time for this anymore. I mean, such things are, I mean, they are, they are in the past. I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't, I have no time for. Yes. That's why some people advocate for polygamy. Because from a certain age, there is a retirement, even psychologically, it's like a, such things like sex is out of the question. Even Sarah, you know, Abraham's wife, she was not into sex. She, she, said, she said, shall I have pleasure being old? Now, Abraham was capable, but she was saying that, shall I have pleasure? Are you there? So, fighting is for young people. Um, I recommend a book to you by Rick Joyner, a man called Rick Joyner. And um, he has a book called The Final Quest. Every pastor should read that book. You should read it, please. It's, it's It's especially chapter three. And those of you who are near to the time you will die, you should read chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, he has meetings with pastors who died. He meets about four pastors who died. And the pastors tell him what happened to them when they died. One of the pastors had written a lot of books. So when I saw it, I was shaken. Yes. Yes. And the guy said that when he got to heaven and his books were brought for the judgment, like he was brought with his book. So those of you who want to write books, you should know that the book will be added to the judgment. (laughs) So his books were brought for the judgment. And he said when he saw his books, he wanted to run and grind his books into powder. These are his words. Please don't forget to read it. He wanted to grind his books into powder. He was so ashamed. He says they were like earthly wisdom and things. You know, you see pastors writing books, preaching earthly wisdom. Sometimes you wonder what we are preaching about. Yes. And they are are no more preaching the word. Like yesterday, I preached John 3.16. I'm sure some of you were surprised when I said, I'm preaching John 3.16. Is that all I have to say? Is that all I have to say? If that's what you are saying, you you are a fallen pastor. Yes. John 3.16 is an important scripture. You must be able to preach from John 3.16. Amen. So, He wanted to grind his books into powder because his books were so earthly and they were not spiritual. And it was not about God. 
but it was like about ideas, wisdom things. And when you listen to a lot of pastors preaching today, you wonder what we are talking about. This, this book here, I have a book here called um, Losing. It's also in the book. Losing, Suffering, Sacrificing, and Dying. You know, I had the inspiration to teach about this subject when I finally read the book I'm telling you to read when I got to the end. Because towards the end, (laughs) another amazing thing happened is that Rick Joyner met Apostle Paul in the vision. And he was talking to Paul and he asked Paul, does he have any message for the church today? And Paul said, no, he has no message because everything he has to say, he has written it. But then, before he left, he said, you know, maybe there's one thing I will tell you. How many would like to know what Paul said? Hey! Paul said, when we look from heaven at you guys who are preaching, we cannot recognize the message you are preaching and the ministry that you have. He says, when we look around, we don't know what you guys are speaking, what what, what you are talking about and the type of ministry. We we don't, we we can't really, we don't recognize it. So Rejoiner asked him, what do you mean? What message? What ministry? He said, it's the ministry and the message of sacrifice. He said that in our time, to be in the ministry was the greatest sacrifice. And the message of the cross of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was the great message that we had. And he said, today, when you look apart from a few places, you, you don't see this message and the ministry. Now, when you look at pastors today, what message do we have? How to have abundance? How to break through? How to make your first million dollars? How to, uh, what? Habits of highly successful, a good life, happy marriage, Moneymatics. Lot of fi- financial, financials. You know, I tell you, everything is related to money. If you put on Christian television, it's all related to money. And you see people with great gifts, but the preaching of the message of sacrifice. That message is out. We have a winner's chapel, but we need a loser's chapel too because Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, then you gain it. Yes, losing. 
Jesus said, the Bible says we are called, Philippians 1, 29, we are called not only to believe, but also to suffer. Amen. Amen. The Bible says, present your body a living sacrifice and dying. Take up your cross and follow me. Today, our message is have a good life, prosper, how to make it, how to do well, be blessed. Uh, The prophet is coming, so your finances are going to increase. Come with your bank documents, your land documents. Come with papers, come with whatever for blessings. Everybody's coming for blessings. That's not the gospel. That is, that is uh, on the side of the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel message. You know, you even hear people say that Jesus spoke more about money than anything. You know, if you want to tell a lie, find something that looks reasonable. But something so stupid and absurd that Jesus spoke more about money than anything. Please, I beg you, don't say that one again. Say something else. It's not true. And any gift, when you color it with money, you see, if we were trying to make profit or money, this ministry would be different. First of all, we wouldn't be coming to these places. I'll be spending more of my time in America. Yes. There's more money in America than here. You know, one day I I visited a church, you know, in a certain country whose name begins with one of the alphabets. I don't want to mention. (laughs) They, it was time for offering. It was, um, they, they, they actually didn't take any offering. Then, after church, they fed everybody. Then on Sunday, they took tithes. Only tithes. Yeah. And not so many people. I have never seen a richer congregation. Yes. Like that. So, I was amazed. And there are many ministries... You know, you can, you can, there are certain countries you can get more money when you go there. Yes. There are certain countries when you go and preach there, you go home with debts. <laughs> yes. That's why many Africans, when they say they are going on missions, they are going to America or England. One time a prophet came to a town and he was prophesying. And he pointed and said, you, you are going to be my missionary in Hamburg, Germany. And the, and the pastor, the leader said, I receive it. Then he pointed this one, you are going to be my missionary in California. I said, I receive it. Then he pointed this one, you are going to be my missionary in Paris. I said, I receive it. Then he pointed to this one, you are going to be my missionary in Togo. Yeah. Then the pastor said, Tofiakwa, God forbid 
I, I curse it, I reject it, I refuse it, I block it, I cast it out. Satan, get thee behind me. Now, why? What is wrong with Togo? What is wrong with Togo? You see, there are souls in Togo. There are souls everywhere. Many times we've been to to preach, you hear the people saying that you came here. We never thought, we've never had anybody come in here. This is not a place people come to and so on. But you see, that's the place we should be going to. I have a book here called Others. Yes, Others. 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 There are other places and other people that maybe you don't know, but there are people. There are places full of people waiting to hear from you and from me. But because our message is a message of luxury, a message of what car do you have now? A message of where, which house do you have? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should have lot of houses and cars and money. No. That is a message that we have today. But God is giving us this message of sacrifice, losing, suffering, sacrificing, and dying. Amen. Now, this morning, uh, for the time remaining, I've introduced several of the books and so on. I want to uh, preach to you from one of these little books here called Tell Them, 120 Reasons Why You Must Be a Soul Winner. Amen. And I'm not going to give you 120 reasons. Otherwise, you'll be here till tomorrow. But the first reason why every pastor must be into soul winning, are you with me? Is that soul winning for pastors is the great commission. That's the great command. Amen. Amen. That's the great command. That's the great commission. Oh, there's nothing to write. Just get the book. All the notes are in the book. I'm reading the book to you, actually. Don't, don't worry about writing. You know, you write notes, you don't read them. So, let, let's, let's concentrate on the preaching. Amen. But you can write. Please, if you feel like writing, please write. Some people need always to write. It helps them to listen to the preaching. So if you, need, if you want to write, please write. But I'm just telling you, it's right there. I believe most of you have registered, so you should have this box. You must be a soul winner because soul winning is the big, is the big thing. Yeah. Go ye into all the world and teach all nations. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, uh, you need to make yourself saviors of men. 
And you need to become a soul-winning pastor. When I say winning souls, I don't mean prophesying money. I mean salvation, pure salvation. In the church. Yes. On Sunday, I am having uh, a soul-winning service, I think, isn't it? Is it not this Sunday, swollen Sunday, or the next one? The next one, yeah. And it's just pure salvation. So, you know, you see, pastors, you can't preach salvation. If I give you a, a, a verse, you see, every salvation message is, comes from one verse. Like John 3.16, then you start preaching for one hour. And some of you, you cannot preach for one hour from John 3. You can preach from 3 John verse 2. I, I wish above all things thou mayest prosper and be in it. That one you can preach it. But you can't preach John 3.16. That is why I wrote this book here called How You Can Preach Salvation. Every night at a crusade, I preach from one of these messages. Yesterday, I was preaching from this book. Every day, I preach from the book. Salvation message. You must be able to stand and preach pure salvation preaching. Because it's the big command. Is the great one. Try to do it all. Try to do your best. Otherwise, you are, you are off completely. We are not called to encourage people or to be motivational speakers. Motivational speaking is nothing. It can never compare with preaching the gospel. And it is not preaching the gospel. How can you, a pastor, lower yourself from preaching the word of God to become a motivational preacher? Go ye into all the world and and encourage people. Go ye into all the world and tell people that everything is going to be all right. Go ye into all the world and tell people that things will get better tomorrow. Your beginning may be difficult, but one day everything is going to turn out right. And giving examples of Bill Clinton, uh, Abraham Abraham Lincoln, and uh, uh, what? Jim, Jim, uh, what? Donald Trump and I mean listen you are supposed to preach the word of God so let us go out and let it become the main thing to win the souls of 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 Botswana the souls of Haboroni to Jesus Christ pure salvation and celebrate salvation and the change in people it is the big commission amen Now, why is it that the presence of God has gone out of many churches? Because John 14 verse 21 says, He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. So, a soul-winning pastor loves God. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him 
and I will manifest myself to him. So God will manifest himself. Manifestations. Manifestations. I said manifestations. Amen. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said, if a man loved me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So God will manifest. Now, if you are spiritually sensitive, when you put on the television and you watch Christian channels, if you are spiritually sensitive, you will see that God is not there in many of the transmissions you are watching, if you are sensitive. That is what you should look for. You see that God says, I will manifest myself. Because many of us are preachers, but we are not obeying him. You know, and he said, I have this one thing against you that you've left your first love. Your first love. I mean, when we got saved, we're winning souls and preaching to people. Salvation. Many pastors were preaching. Today, when you preach, you, you wonder what we are preaching about. It's as if you've graduated out of being a soul winner, but you cannot graduate out of soul winning. You can only backslide out of soul winning. You cannot graduate out of soul winning. So God is calling us at this time to return to our first love, loving God and doing the first works, the great commission to go and win souls. You know, when we were in Palape, we were in Francistown, they were telling us, oh, you know, the last time we had a crusade here was 36 years ago. Do you think I feel happy? No, is it, it, it's telling us something. Meanwhile, this is the time where we have big churches, money in churches, pastors with big cars. Pastors with expensive things than ever before. And this is the time where there is nothing like a crusade for 36 years. Not only here, in Mozambique. We were in Maputo. We were told the same thing. The last crusade was 35 years ago. 38 years ago. We were in Zambia, Kitwe, Indola. Oh, the last crusade we ever had here was 35 years ago. Same, everywhere we go. They say, oh, if Bonky came here 36 years ago, 35 years ago. 30. So, today's Christians, huh? <laughs> for 35 to 6 years, it's like there's nothing like major evangelism efforts. And each evangelistic effort cannot do much. It just does something small. It's, it's important, but it does something small. There, there must be more. Yeah. So what does it mean? It means we have left our first love. 
Yes. The church has left its first love. That's not how the church was. We've left our first love. And he says, repent or I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place. That means that I'll take you out of your spiritual position and I'll replace you with someone else. Yes. And that is why churches, you know, you have churches with big cathedrals and big, uh, what do you call it, names and so on, but are not so relevant when it comes to the work of God today. Because their position has been changed. God has changed their position. He said, I'll take your candlestick out of his place. Yeah, I'll move you, you from, from your relative position relative to me. And that's why you see places and churches which no one even regards become important to God because they are doing what he wants. Look, my friends, God's love language is obedience. If you want to impress God and touch him, Obey him. That's how he understands love. You can't have sex with God. You can't give God chocolate. You can't give God sweets. You can't give him money. There's nothing you can do. What you can do to show God that you love him is to obey him. And the big obedience is the great commission or the great commandment. Can I have an amen? Yeah. So you must become a soul winner. All of you must be interested in this particular book. How you can preach salvation. You must become a salvation preacher. You know, I went somewhere and I preached in a convention, a big church in a certain country whose name begins with G. And when I finished preaching, I did an altar call and then I left. And the pastor came down to see me off to my car in this country whose name begins with a G. We have many countries, Gambia, um, Gabon, Germany, and so on. Guatemala. So, he came down and he said to me, we have had this convention for seven days. You are the only person who did an altar call in this, in this program. An altar call for salvation. Everybody else is, your, 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 your divine breakthrough, a divine corridor is opening up. A divine call, a divine agenda is being released. I mean, special word salads. Do you know what is a word salad? Mixing of big words together. Are released to make you feel that something important is being preached. Today you should listen to the pastor's preaching. Word salad. Mixing of things. Ask your neighbor, are you a word salad preacher or you are a word preacher? Everybody say it is the great commission. Number two, you must become a soul winning pastor. And I'm talking about becoming soul winning pastors because we are called to this great work. It's the call. That's the call we have. 
Matthew 22, 14. It says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many pastors are called to win souls. You think I'm the only pastor called in 36 years? Come on. No, it's, it's saying something for us. Oh, that I'm the only pastor called for 36 years to have a crusade of this type here. It, it, can, it can never be the case. Because the Bible says many are called, not few are called, or one or two are called. Many of us here are called. But when it got to the place where you should have been doing crusades or evangelism or reaching out, all you were doing was to travel abroad using word salad, developing new ideas for prosperity and all kinds of ideas of ministry with bigger and bigger cars trying to have American friends or trying to have some kind of bigness. Wait, where did you learn all these things from? Instead of becoming a soul winning pastor, you've rather be, you have metamorphosized into a secular CEO. You look more like a CEO of a, of a secular organization than a soul winning outdoor soul winning pastor. Shame on you. you. You are giving people books to read. Instead of giving soul winning books, you are telling, read this book, Michelle Obama. Uh, uh, biography, Bill Clinton. And who? Donald Trump and other things about how to be successful. Where, what, 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 are, what, are you, what are you espousing? What values are you, are you, are you trying to, 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 to promote in the church? It's secularization, earthly mindedness, backsliding pastors with big things that are actually backsliders in the ministry. And you are ministering a spirit of grasping of earthly things. Grasping and reaching for more earthly things which are not the real ministry. Because you are admiring earthly things. And that's why we have a church that is always asking for money and begging for money and never has enough money. You've never seen a poorer church than the church we have today. You don't have money at all. If you had money, if you had money as a church, you would be doing certain things. Even as we've come here, you, 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 you'll be paid. Oh, we want to pay for uh, the, the hotel of this. We want to pay for... Nobody pays for anything. Everybody just looks... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, bye-bye. We have been to town after town after town after town. People don't have money. People don't have anything. But we are always preaching about money too. Our call is to soul winning. 
I don't know what you think you are called to. You are not called, there's no calling to be a t- chief executive officer. No calling to be a general manager. We are called to win souls. That's what's in the Bible. That's what we are called for. We are called to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. Stop deceiving yourself. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he said, put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ears down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go and stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come to this place. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey. And tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Not called. Did you say you are not called? These are the words of William. Did you say you are not called? Not had the call, I think you should say. William Booth is the one who wrote to his generals or his pastors and sent them a message in just one word. And that one word was this word which inspired me to write this book. Others. I found it. Others. His generals, he wrote, they thought he had written like sentences and paragraphs. When they opened those, only one word. Others. They were shocked. (laughs) And it made them think about others. There are others that Jesus died for apart from those in your city apart from those near to you yeah not called one called many you think me i've come from ghana i've come from ghana to this botswana do you think i'm the only person who is called to do this please you don't know what you are saying there are many the fact that i look odd And that what I am even saying sounds unusual. Shows how far we are falling. From God's grace. Yes. Number three. You must be a soul winning pastor. I'm talking about pastors and church leaders. Because you were created to carry out that good work of soul winning. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Doctor, for we are his workmanship, mm. created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. Created in Christ. Created in Christ. For good works. Which good works? When I came to know the Lord, you know, I was really offended by the church. 
Because the church that I used to go to, I used to go to a church whose name begins with a C. It had the best schools in my country. It had the best hospitals in the country. Huh? The best hospitals. In fact, Ghana experienced a famine in 1983. And this church whose name begins with a C. And I will not tell you, there are many churches. Christ, something, this, this, that, whatever. Chapel of whatever, and so on. There are many churches. Had so many resources that this church whose name begins with a C fed the whole country with oil, sogum. They gave us poison. Everybody was, everybody got some from this church. This church had the best hospital for orthopedics, best hospital for this, hospital for that, everything. And I was in the church. But I never heard about salvation. Huh? I never heard about salvation. I never heard about Jesus. That I need to be born again and that Jesus died for me and I have to receive Christ as my savior. So if I had died then, and you see, I almost died. There was something happened, I almost died. Amen. Are you there? Something happened, I almost died. So I always remember that particular event. I almost died. I almost drowned. And if I had drowned, by now I would be one of the kebabs in hell. I'd be roasting. Hey! Meanwhile, I was in a church. Listen, the work we are expected to do is not building orphanages, dr- drilling boreholes, connecting electricity to villages, making schools, universities, and all these parachurch activities. What is the youth? Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then his soul is lost? What is the use of all these things that you've done and the souls of the people are lost and they don't know God? The church is not, the main thing is still the main thing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's still the main thing. It will not change. I'm sorry. So, today we have churches, you know, our church has, our church has the largest orphanage in, in our country. We have schools, we have this, we have, you see, but that is not the core. It's something that you do on the side. As a blessing to love people. But it's not the main work of the church. I mean, can you imagine if you send your child to school, today is a school day. Your child goes to school, and when a child goes to school, we just teach him Genesis, Abraham. It's time to learn physics, but you are teaching him about Abraham and Sarah. Would you like it? You will, not, you will say you are changing your... 
taking your child out of that school. Because that's not the purpose of the school. The how come when people now come to church, they come and get lectures on economics, money, finances, banking, how to make million dollars and all kinds of things, which is not our work. So this work we are created to do is the work of soul winning. Number four, we must do soul winning because soul winning gives great joy and energizes Christians. Amen. Wow. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this is the Lord appointed 70 and sent them forth two by two before his face into every city and every place. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. Go your ways, I send you forth. And the 70 returned again with joy. There is a certain joy that comes when you become a soul winning pastor. Your depression will start lifting. You see, you look at many pastors, pastors look very sad. This is why people don't want to be pastors. When they see you, you are a bad advertisement for, for the ministry. It's true. You see the joy that is at a crusade. You see the joy that is at a crusade and the joy that is there when we are preaching about Jesus. You see, that is what we are actually called for. And there is joy even in heaven when people are saved. A lot of joy. But that is actually what we exist for. That is why these beautiful buildings exist. They exist because of souls. So you see pastors looking older. Hey! We call it premature aging. You are not an old man, but you look so old and weary. And all your children say, I don't want to be a pastor. My father was a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. As for that, what my father did, this is what I don't want to do. Ask your neighbor, am I looking old? Number five, you must be a soul winner because soul winning is the heartbeat of Jesus. Luke 19 and verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. The son of man has come to do what? To seek and to save that. That's the heart of Jesus. That's why he came. That's why he came. Amen. Now listen, one time I had a vision and I saw a human heart beating. It was red, it was covered with blood. And I said, Lord, what is that? And the Lord said, that is my heart. And I said, your heart? But I recognize it because it was a heart. I've seen an open heart surgery before. So I recognize it. And I said, Lord, what do you mean by your heart? He said, my heart is souls, soul winning. That's my heart. Listen, 
If you want to touch God, become a soul winner. Yes, become a soul winner. You want to touch God. How many know that on your body, different parts are more sensitive than others? Do you have parts of your body that are more sensitive than others? Yes. God also has parts that are more sensitive. So if you want to tickle God, you want to stir him up, I'm showing you the sensitive parts. Are you listening to me? I'm showing you the sensitive part of God. If you touch that part, you are touching the sensitive part, the soul winning. That, that's, that's what is, is his heart. So when you give yourself as a pastor, organize crusades, breakfast meeting, preach yourself. Don't departmentalize evangelism. I'll say it again. Don't departmentalize evangelism. Don't make evangelism a department. Evangelism is everything and you are the leader of evangelism. Don't departmentalize and delegate to some young zealot people. Go outside and evangelize. We are here. You lead the way and don't departmentalize it. Don't make the great commission the great omission. Yes. Don't make the great commission the great omission. You have omitted the main thing. Are you there? Number seven. You must be a soul winner, a soul winning pastor. Pastor. I'm talking about pastors winning souls, not congregations or departments. (laughs) Ask your neighbor, have you departmentalized evangelism in your church? Have you made it a department? Outreach ministry, outreach group. (laughs) Hey! Now, you must be a soul winning pastor, number seven, because soul winning prevents church splits and disloyalty. Yes. Soul winning prevents church splits. And disloyalty, those who leave you. It prevents people from leaving you. Where are you going? We are reaching out. Because you see, you take the fight outside. Soul winning means you take the war outside. But when you are not into soul winning, then Satan comes in. And he starts playing the match at your goalpost. You know, Ghana... We, we are a soccer nation and we have won the World Cup under 17 or under 21 or one of them. We've won what before. World Cup. Yes. Now, that World Cup, I don't like watching this thing because it's too much tension and it, 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 it is, I, I, I can't stand it, you know. So I just wait to hear shouting. If I hear shouting, I know we scored. (laughs) But this particular World Cup, when we won, I happened to be at home. I put on the television. I heard the neighbors shouting. So 
I put it on them. They were playing the match and I was forced to watch it. And we won. But I noticed the difference in this particular match. And and that team was that they were attacking all the time. In fact, our player, one of our players, he won the golden boot. I, I think it's for scoring or something. Yeah, he won the golden boot. And he was very aggressive. And he was always playing. So, this is the enemy's goalpost, and this is your goalpost. And they were always playing in the enemy. Around here, around here, around here, around here. It's very dangerous for you in the goal, as a goalkeeper. It's like, why are they so near? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm talking about? They, they are playing the match. It's near where you are. You never feel happy. Whereas the goalkeeper of the other side, he's come out, he's put his hand in his pocket, and he's watching. So you are not in danger at all. Because you have taken the battle to the gates of the enemy. So when you are winning souls, you take everybody, and that's why I said, don't departmentalize evangelism. Don't make it a minor department of your church. Yes. Take the whole church on the reaching out ministry. Yes. And take them there so that the problem is the sound, light, issues, the souls, the following up, and so on. But when you don't do it, then the enemy brings the ball to your side and starts to accuse the pastor's wife, accuse this one about this, discuss this, and dividing the church, and before you realize, the church is divided. That is why the power to divide and scatter churches is mostly found in churches that don't reach out. Yes. Because it's the nature of man to be disloyal. Yes. It's the nature of man to be disloyal. So people are naturally disloyal and will stir up quarrels, issues, and divisions. It happens. But when you have taken the war out, it's like the real problem is out there and not at home. So those who leave you, you see, when Solomon disobeyed God, then the Lord raised up Jeroboam and other rebels against Solomon. But his kingdom was stable whilst he was obeying God. But when he turned and took extra wives and started following the gods, then, if you read this book, you see, it was at that point, because in this book I have about 20 reasons why people leave you. And one of them is that you are not doing his will. And when you don't do his will, then Sometimes God himself stirs people up. Sometimes even for their own sake, they have to leave you so that they do well. Because when they follow you, they are welded to your future disasters. And they don't want to be welded to your future disasters because you are going out of the will of God. Yes. You know, when you are following a rebel or somebody who is disloyal, You know, I always remember that phrase from Mike Maddox. He used a phrase, he said that 
you are welded to the person's future disasters. Yes. So that is why sometimes people leave. They say, no, I can't follow you again. I can't stay here. Because if I stay, the distraction that is coming to you will come to me also. Because I'm part of you. Yes. So you are welded to the person's punishment that is coming. For sure. So that's why sometimes people disconnect and say, you know, I can't be with you anymore. Because I can see that I'm following something that is not going well. And a pastor who is not winning souls, always talking about money, this and that. You don't need to talk about money all the time. You know, one of the things I feel sad about is, you know, the prophets. You know, I really believe in the prophet's ministry. And I wish I would also start to know people's ATM numbers. You know? Yes. You know, don't criticize things that would be nice if you also had them. Pray for it. Don't just speak against it. It's a nice thing. I mean, I wish I could just see you and tell you your passport number. Yes. I just start mentioning four, two, eight, three. Wow. You know? Now, what is the problem is that when this wonderful gift is attached to money, then it becomes monetized. You see, you, you, it then is then being misused. But it's a real gift. It's a real gift. Yes, it's a real gift. You know, pastors, let's not criticize what we need. You need it. I need it. Yes. You need it, I need it. Yes. You know, once I was, I, was, I was watching one of these prophets and he was, he was explaining, he was on an airplane and he was sitting by somebody in the plane and uh, he just started to talk to the person. Then he told the person, I know you. And the person, why do you know me? You don't know me. And he asked, was talking to him about God. And, but, and I think the person said he, he doesn't believe in God or what doesn't believe in whatever. Then he says, I can tell you some things that will help you to believe in God. Wow. Like what? He said, Lama, I'll tell you your name. He said, you tell me my name? A, a total stranger. He said, yes. He told him, your name is this. Ah! How do you know my name? And he told him other things. The man was shocked. He has become one of his greatest supporters. Yes. So don't criticize. Pray that you also be able to tell the person who is sitting by you, right, his name. Yes. Yes. How many would like such a wonderful gift to be operating in your life? Yeah. We need it. We need it in our lives. The problem is making money out of these things. And changing it is all financial, 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 financial. That's where the thing changes. It's the mark of the beast. The mark of money. 666. Buying and selling. Profit making. 
That's the mark of the beast. Some of you are thinking the mark of the beast will come into be a form of laser. No, the mark of the beast is profit making, buying and selling. You, you, once profit making comes into the ministry as a motive and as a, a dominant feature, the mark of the beast has landed. Yes. Do you have the mark of the beast on your ministry? Most of us only do ministry when we see how much we will make. Yes. Yes. When you are invited, you say, how much will you give? Pay this in advance before I come. Yes. Hey. One time I invited a man of God and he sent the bill. He said, pay hundred and hundred and something thousand dollars into this account before we continue the discussion. I said, I'll watch you on video. I'll just watch your video. Are you still around? Yeah. Tell somebody I'm becoming a soul winner. Number eight. You must be a soul winner because soul winning generates divine support and protection for your ministry. Divine support. Amen. In fact, every time you win soul, there's a reaction in heaven. Yesterday night there was a reaction in heaven. Hallelujah! There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. So, soul winning stirs up heaven. Watch out for soul winning. That's why Billy Graham couldn't die. He had so much life. And you watch, you notice the evangelists. It's difficult for them to die. Yes. Teachers and pastors will be dying, but the evangelists will be there. Kaba shakata yalaba It's true. We got Billy Graham. Look at Bonky, T.L. Osborne, Maurice Cerullo. Old, old, old. They can't easily die. T.L. Osborne was so angry when his wife died and left him. Hey, he was hard, but he was, he was almost angry with God. So how can you let her die at the age of 70? I'm still here. He lived on and on and on and on and on. You see that the pastors, the teachers, you see they all, they all go. The evangelists are just sailing on like that, sailing, sailing, sailing. I see your evangelistic ministry rising in Jesus' name. Psalm 91 verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. 
Because he has known my name. He shall call upon me. I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Wow. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Hallelujah. Where, Where do you get all these things from? You get them from because he has set his love upon me. And your loving God is your obeying him. The great commandment and the great commission is your loving of God. Yes. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Yes. With long life I will satisfy him. You see that you cannot get cancer. It's like people will be diagnosed but you will be moving and breathing. Hey! People will be dying in cars. But you'll be escaping. People will be dying in planes, but you'll be escaping. When we we were in Uganda this year, is it this year? When Uganda for a crusade, you know, and when we were coming, we were on Ethiopian Airlines. We were we were the day the crash happened, you know, our team is usually in different planes. We don't allow everybody to be on one plane. So, one team, we, we, my team, the, the, the group that were with me would have been, could have been on that flight. Yes. Could have been because there was a change. The president of Uganda wanted to see me and he invited us to come. Or, so, if I had agreed, but I, I said, no, it's, it's too late. We, 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 next time. So, if I had, you see, it, then we may have had to fly to Kenya. But our team was on the, they were on the tarmac. The plane in front was the one that crashed. So, they were all lined up to take off. So, when this one took off, then our team were on the ground. And they said, hold on, hold on, hold on. And they even, I think, they turned off the engines. They were, they were just waiting to take off. Yeah, the next plane. I will deliver him. With long life, I will satisfy him. I will show him my salvation. I will honor him. This is the word of God for you. For loving God and keeping his commandment, not what people think. You can expect these divine support and blessings for your life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Wow. How many are becoming more serious about soul winning as I'm preaching about it? Yeah. Number nine. You must become a soul winning pastor to avoid polishing the same coins over and over again. Polishing the same coins. In Luke 15, Jesus says, What woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? When she has found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me for I have found the peace that I lost. Now, it is important to avoid the mistake of carefully counting and polishing over and over the same coins Instead of looking for the lost coin. 
Amen. That's why pastors are bored. Sometimes you see pastors in their churches, you, you, you can see that it's not easy to preach. That people look old, sleepy. You know, one day I, I went to a church. I was with this man. When we sat down, I didn't know what was going to happen, but it was time for preaching. And the man adjusted himself on the pew like this and went to sleep. Like he started from, not that the pastor had started preaching and it was boring, but it was like he comes there to sleep. He sleeps every Sunday. How boring it is to just sit over the same group of coins and just wipe them again. You wipe them last week. You are wiping the same. You look at the people and they are, they are equally bored. I, went, I met one guy. I said, are you going to church? He said, no. I said, why? He said, because I know all my pastor's sermons. He said, I know all my pastor's sermons. Today is Abraham. Tomorrow is Moses. It is always something like this. <laughs> hey! polishing. It, it's so boring. You know, and during the Second World War, when they had these high intelligent people, they gave them such jobs to break them. Because you go mad. What they did was that they would give you some rocks here and tell you to carry the rocks here. So you, the, you see professors, scientists, doctors, lawyers, philosophers carrying a rock. Go and put it there. Then they'll go back. Carry. When all the rocks are here, then they'll tell them, carry it back here. So they were carrying here. Then they finished and they carry here. And the guys were going crazy. Like they, These are intelligent people who can do something great. But they were given this mundane, monotonous work to do. Many pastors, there's so much more in you. But you are doing this monotonous work. You see these same people who are even bored. You come and say, Today we are going to preach about a good life. (laughs) Good life part seven. Good life part seven. You've been preaching a good life for the past six weeks. (laughs) And you are continuing your series on a good life part seven. You have polished the same people. of all this polishing the same things that you are saying to them so even the work becomes boring to you and your children start look and say I don't want to be a pastor yes I want to be a banker I want to be a, a politician I want to do something exciting because you have changed the work but if you start to reach out there will be a new problem yes if we, if we say we are filling this hall we are filling, most churches are not full. Most churches are not full at all on Sundays. Come on Sunday, then you see for yourself. Jesus said that my house may be filled. If we embark out, somebody asked me, what is the most difficult part of being a pastor? It is church growth. Doctor, help me. It is church growth. To make your church grow is the most difficult thing in being a pastor. 
I think it's the most scientific, complex thing to make your church grow. I have two books here. Number one is this one called The Mega Church. The Mega Church. And number two is Church Growth, It Is Possible. And then number three is Church Planting. Because church planting is a form of growing. Yes. When you, when you grow, you, you plant a church. And to plant a church, you must train a leader. And it's very complex to train people. And it's complex to trust them. It's complex to appoint them. It's complex to send them. And watch many of them fail as you send them. Many of the people you send, they, they, they don't do well. And so I went out to sow. So you send seeds. And some of them don't do well. It's very complicated. I mean, this book has... This book has... Sorry, please. This is my leg. Now, this book has many compartments. Because it's very complex to make a church grow. Even as you are sitting there, it's very complicated that you've come, become this size. It's true. How did you become this size? You used to be very small like this. And you've grown. Can you explain it? Ah, somebody eat, drinks only milk and he becomes your size. Somebody eats rice, he becomes your size. Somebody eats meat, he becomes your size. And you, you don't even know how. Some become taller, shorter, fatter, different sizes. It's very complicated. And I am a medical doctor, but I can tell you that it is more difficult to be a pastor than to be a doctor. Yes, more difficult. You can ask a doctor, what do you think? Yes. Is it easier to be a doctor? This is a a radiologist specialist. Yes. Is it easier to be a easier to be a doctor or a pastor? It is easier to be a doctor than to be a pastor. Easier. Easier. It's very difficult to be a pastor of a church. To have a church. Are, are you t- cross your heart and shame the devil? Yes, because I am both. You are both. I'm both. I'm both a pastor and a doctor. And it is it is more difficult to keep a church member in a church than to keep a patient. very difficult wow yes it's 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 one of the problems i have now i want to fill my church about four times on sunday and to fill it i have to go out and start home sales and bring them to church on buses if i was having a clinic i would not bus patients It's very difficult. Very, very difficult. So, so this, these two materials, church growth and the mega church, should be the mainstay of a pastor who wants his church to grow. You should be, 
you should be interested instead of buying books on finances you should buy books on church growth and study it till you know it that is what took me to Korea I wanted my church to grow so badly and I had heard that Yongicho had the largest church in the world that is why I went to Korea when I got there I saw a mega church Church that goes from morning till evening. Services and meetings. Church service after church service after church service. Meetings, smaller groups in rooms, 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 different departments. Hey, the whole of Sunday. 10 o'clock in the night they were there. They said Monday we don't work, but Sunday we are here till the evening. And Monday is a day off. When you come to the church on Monday, you see only security officers. Yes. When I went there, then I started to see that it is possible to have a big church. And I became inspired to build a big church. Yes. So, instead of doing this boring work of just teaching the same people the same points which they know you get what I'm saying lift up your eyes and see the fields see the souls see the poor people see the people who need to be bust see the people from afar and say I am going to fill this Jesus said that my house may be filled and you'll be surprised everything will change New life will come into you. Yes. Hey. Amen. Right. Let's carry on. We must be soul winners, number 11, because soul winning helps you to avoid a false balance. A false balance. Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Now, there is an imbalance in the work of God. Too much emphasis is placed on the established church to the neglect of a lost and dying world. It's like 10 people trying to lift a log and 9 of them are on one side and one person is on one side. As I've come to Botswana, you have churches, but you are the ones telling us it's 36 years ago that we had such a crusade. There should have been campaigns in Palape. They have not equally had any campaign. I mean, if you are a great man of God here, huh? I said, if you are a great man of God in uh, Haboroni, why have you not carried yourself to Palape to go and have a big crusade? Even if they will not allow international evangelists to come here. What about the great men of God who are having mega churches in Haboroni? Why don't you go to Palape and have a crusade? Why don't you go to Francistown and have a crusade? Why don't you reach out? Why don't you try to plant more churches? Why are you satisfied in just having one big short church with some mega members with big cars? What about the lost? What about, the balance 
Your church can be full, but there are many more people outside. Far more. And when you have increase in murder, murder, it means the devil is come to town. Murder, you see, the Bible says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So his original freelance operation is as a murderer. So when murder becomes an issue, it's a revelation that Satan has become emboldened to come as he is without disguises. Yes. Look, if you come to Ghana, West Africa, you know, Abidjan, Accra, Lagos, Kotonou, the capital of Benin, Togo, uh, Lome, the capital of um, Togo, Freetown, the capital of Sierra Leone, Monrovia, the capital of Liberia. We are all on the coast like that. All big churches are in these capital cities. Up has been handed over to other religions. Yeah. Because the mega church bishops and men of God of today Eh? We are professors of a false balance. One town in the city and the rest of the country, 99%, it's like any other religion can come and feel free and do whatever you want to do. And the young people are given to drugs, given to nightclubs, given to demons, given to other religions. Oh, man. And it's the same picture in every country in this modern church. It's not a Botswana thing. It's something in the church worldwide. The message of soul winning and the message of loving God and the message of doing his will has been thrown out of the window and has been replaced by secularization and earthly minded money grasping ministries. So it's alarming. Very alarming. If you go to America today, you know, the church is being overrun by homosexuals. Yes. Derek Prince prophesied it. You know, when Derek Prince was alive, he said, look, one of the signs of the coming of Jesus is open, aggressive, and violent homosexuality. Derek Prince. And this is, he was prophesying in 1980 or 1970 or 1980 something. He said that, look, in, in San Francisco then, it is dangerous to even speak about such things. You can be attacked. And he said that it's going, to, it's coming. And you see, the American church, the American church is not how it, used to, how it is now. You know, the other day, some mega church pastors were being interviewed on CNN. They were asking, uh, so do you believe in hell and so on? They said, oh, you know, no comment about hell. Yeah. America used to be the most missionary-minded nation. I am sure there were missionaries from America in this country and established Assemblies of God Church. Is it not true? They were here. That's how they were. 
They were, they were in Ghana. They were in the north of Ghana, everywhere. That made the church strong, great and strong. But now the church has retreated. You will not hardly get an American to go anywhere. It's not going to know me. He'll ask you whether it's safe. Do they have drinking water? Do they have security? Do they have this? Do they have that? Yes. And instead, you know, they are going on demonstrations against gay marriage, against this. It can never win. So it's like the enemy comes in and takes over. So you see, the church is becoming weaker and it's overrun. Yes. Recently, I was in England and I was with some church pastors and so on. And they have gay pastors as part of the church. Gay bishops, gay pastors, they are part of the church authority, the church structure. I mean, well, it's finished. And the churches are all empty. Buildings, they are selling them. Even, even the assemblies of God selling, they, they sold their Bible school in Australia. They sold it to other, another religion. The one in America, they've sold it. The big center where they train Bible students to go, they've sold, they've sold all. You see, when the church sets aside the main thing, I tell you, a certain darkness falls over the whole church. Yeah. So, pastors, don't, don't think that I am knocking you or saying something against you. I'm talking about all of us. Is the state in which we find ourselves today. It's a problem for all of us. We need to rise up. I am not talking from a point of having, doing something good and telling somebody who is not doing good to do good. No. It's something that's befalling all of us. We are the ones supervising the collapse of the church. It is in our time that the church is reducing and other religions are increasing. It is in our day that this thing is happening. It didn't happen when our fathers were there. When Ora Roberts and Billy Grahams and others were there, it didn't happen that way then. But it's happening when we are on the watch. So, it's time for us to get out of the false balance a false balance of so many pastors and no evangelism. So much pastoral work, but no evangelism. Pastoral teaching every day. Okay, seven steps to a successful life. Step number one, have a vision. Step number two, plant a seed. Step number three, develop your family. Step number four, love your wife. Step number five, be forgiving. Step number six, travel sometimes. Travel and see. And step number seven, remember God. Hallelujah. <laughs> what are these pastoral messages for? These are tidbits to just make us happy. And it is nice. Let's have it. But let us balance it with the pure gospel of Jesus Christ the savior of the world a false balance is an abomination it's an abomination our messages are too pastoral where are your soul winning messages the work is all pastoral work so where is the evangelistic work it's not happening so it's a false balance and it's an abomination to God 
And I'm not surprised that Paul said when he looks at us, he can't recognize our message. He said, what are you guys preaching about? What are you talking about? Amen. Hallelujah. I have a book here called Anakazo. Anakazo. It means going out and compelling people to come to Jesus. Wow. Now, number 12 and my last point for today. You must be a soul winner and allow the Lord to send you out to win souls so that you will not be sent out by persecution and other troubles. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting to his death and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Wow. Now, they went everywhere preaching the word, but they went everywhere because of persecution and trouble. Now, you do not need to wait for trouble before you decide to obey God. How many want to obey God before trouble sets in? Huh? Yes. And if you don't obey him, trouble is going to come. And the trouble will make you do what you didn't do originally. That's how sometimes God works. Sometimes his mercy is to send various troubles into our lives because he will sometimes give you his word and say, okay, do this, but now you don't want to do it. So he lets circumstances rise and those circumstances bring about his will. His will which you could have just said, I've heard God speaking to me. But now, you are not just hearing God speaking to you. So many issues are coming up. And those issues are making you do what you could have done peacefully. Are you with me? Yeah. So God is telling us today, let us not wait for troubles to make us soul winners or soul winning pastors. Don't wait for trouble. To come your way. Then you say, ah, Lord, I want to do this. One time, there was a man in my church. And uh, he developed a problem. And they took some x-rays and so on. And he was diagnosed with a cancer. A serious type of cancer. And 
they found out that the cancer was in other places and it was spreading. So, it became quite clear that he was, he was going to die. Then he came to see me and he said, I have this money that I want to give to Healing Jesus campaign. This campaign I'm doing, Healing Jesus. And I told him, you, 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 you need money now more than ever for your treatment and for whatever. He said, no. It's something I promised God I was going to do. And I didn't do it. I want to do it. I said, no, don't do it. He, he would not listen to me. And he gave the money. But I always remember. I always remember talking to him because he's dead now. I always talk, I remember talking to him. And I could see how he was desperate. He was trying to grasp and do things that he should have done before the troubles came. And God is telling us today, don't wait for trouble to come and lead you. Trouble can lead you. (laughs) Trouble has a way, you see, the persecution of the church made the people go out. And when they went, they really preached. <laughs> yes. They really preached all over the world. But they preached because of troubles. How many of you are going to obey God because of trouble that is going to come to your life? Or you are going to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send him. Here am I, send me. I'm ready. I want to do your will. I want to go all out for you, Lord Jesus. I want to serve you the best that I can. So, let us, listen, let us not make any mistakes. Look, me, I am a, I am a, I am a doctor. I went to university for seven years. I didn't come to the ministry to come to play games. I came, God called me, and I have to do what he asked me to do. Not, not, I, I don't need something that's creating a job. No. We're not creating jobs. We are following his, it is his church and his mission. It is his will. It is what he thinks and what he wants. That's all. The rest, is, it doesn't matter. Because as a crusade like you can ask, what, what is the use of a crusade? You just come and throw money around and preach, and after that, there's nothing. That's how people think. But you see, God told me to have this crusade. Yes. I was in my study, and I want to sh- I want, I'll show you this book, The Art of uh, Hearing. Show. Art of Hearing. Right there. Yeah. Thank you. And I had a vision. In the vision, I saw somebody standing in front of me. And the person spoke and said, you must have a crusade. And very important that you pray for the sick. Pray for the sick. 
You know, when God spoke to me, it was enough. You, you may not know that in my country, I also have big churches. I have a, an air-conditioned air car. Yes. With a CD player, everything. Music. I don't need anything by the grace of God. But he said, go. Go. And preach. Going has made my church multiply. I don't know how many more times. The church is bigger. More churches. Cathedrals. More of them. Everywhere. It's amazing. You would have thought that when I go, the church will get spoiled. It's rather become bigger. It's amazing. You know, let us not wait for our churches to get finished before we say, we are going on soul winning now because our churches are, uh, there, there's no, boy, no more member in the church. <laughs> let us not say that when we go re- winning souls, we don't get rich people to support the church. We, are you, in the, are you doing, trying to do business? Most of the souls you will win are young people and poor people. Yes, it's young people and poor people. Old people cannot easily be saved. And rich people cannot also easily be saved. The two, they are two difficult groups. It's like sewing on tiles, tiles. About eight years ago, God led me to start a new church with just university students. Yeah, and my, that, my, that church is bigger than the one that I left, which is one of the biggest churches in, in the country. Yeah, I have most, many, many, many. We are, we are having our uh, Swollen Sunday. We are, we are, our, we are targeting 25,000 Sunday attendants in one service. Yes. Yes, it's our target. So, don't, 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 don't ask for troubles. God, God can release more. Hey! How many would like to go to the school of hard knocks? You can go to an easier school. And God will bless you. Your whole life changes when you become a soul winning man of God. Man of God. Yes. Soul winning man of God. Not a money-making man of God. Money-generating man of God. A soul-winning man of God. And I want to say something. It may shock you. If you are a soul-winning man of God, you will have young people and poor people. These two will be in your life. Young people and poor people. Yeah. But you see, most pastors are looking in the congregation and saying, ah, this is my church member. He's selling curtain materials. This one is selling iron rods. This one is selling cars. This one is selling... He said, like, you know the rich people who sell, do business. And those are, that's your eyes are on those people. How many car dealers can we have here as our members? The poor people who live at area Z and area 29 and far away, they are plenty. Students, young people. Most of Botswana, I'm sure, is young people. I don't know, but I'm sure mostly it's young people here. Yeah. yeah. It's time to take off our suits. Put on t-shirts. 
Look like a young person. Huh? Somebody with life. And reach out to the young people. You, you can't go to the young people looking like a grandfather. <laughs> when they see you and you come smiling, they say, oh, grandpa. Good <laughs> and I know your whole life and your whole ministry is going to change. Stand to your feet, everybody. Father, thank you for your word. Lift your hand and commit yourself to soul winning, serving the Lord. Yes. In the ministry. In the Jesus, Jesus, we thank you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We commit ourselves to evangelism. A love for souls. Let's pray. Pray that the love of souls will come upon you. Your ministry will be colored by the souls your desire for souls. Pray and ask the Lord for the heart, the heartbeat to have crusades, to go out with your church. Lift your hands and pray that this spirit will descend upon your ministry. We thank God for what we have now, but we are now praying for another level of ministry, another dimension. Pray. Thank you, Jesus. Do it for us, Lord. Everybody can go out. Every ministry can be found outside. Pray that you move out. Pray and ask the Lord for strength, for the grace, for the anointing, for the heart, the love for poor people, the love for students and young people. We are praying. Do it for us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Pray, open your mouth and pray that this this spirit will also come upon your church. This spirit will come upon your church as a unique feature of your church. We shall become soul-winning pastors, soul-winning men of God, Soul winning church workers, Makasata, Mayandalaba, whether you are in the choir, you are an usher, whatever you do, a treasurer, everybody goes out to win souls. Let it come upon me, Lord. Let it descend on my ministry, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Mande Katorobosha. Rana Mazata Baba. Churches are changing. Ministries are taking another dimension. Another shape, another color. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for your blessing. Father. Thank you for touching every life. By your mighty power, you are changing our lives. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.